Recently, I read of a church staff that has a mantra that they share every Sunday morning before services begin. And here it is. Never underestimate the pain in the room. On Sundays, we walk into church with smiles on our faces, happy to see each other. But church, never underestimate the pain in this room each and every Sunday. The pain in your gathering with the people that you're with. Because on any given Sunday, the odds that one person in your group, one person in this sanctuary, is struggling with loss, heartache, rejection, loneliness, or failure. The likelihood of this is 100%. Never underestimate the pain in the church. This morning, there could be a wife who wandered into the church because her husband just served her with divorce papers and she's yearning for consolation. There could be a young man who was recently arrested for his second DUI and he's scrambling to escape the maze of addiction. There could be a couple, a family who lost their parent to COVID. If we could see the pain in people's lives every time we gather for worship, the grief would be suffocating because broken, hurting people Go to church. Unfortunately, we tend to push the pain just deep enough below the surface to hide it so that we can smile at one another. Now, when it comes to pain in the Christian life, Steve Norma explains that there are three approaches to suffering that Christians often take. And though he admits this is an oversimplification of a complicated issue, it still helps us to reflect on pain. The three approaches are these, escape, tolerate, and redemptive. Escape, tolerate, and redemptive. The escape approach. The escape approach rejects suffering in all of its forms. It believes that pain exists. They just don't believe that it has a place in the Christian life. The escapist thinks this way. Their thinking sounds like this. Christ healed the sick. Christ healed the diseased, he healed the oppressed in his time, and Jesus continues to do that today. So that means that God intends for his people to be pain-free. And if we're stuck in some kind of agony, something broke on our end, not God's. If we just have enough faith and perform a little bit better morally, life will be comfortable and easier. That's the escapist way of thinking. Uh, here's, I, I hope you caught the flaw in the thinking when you heard that. Because if you've been in church circles long enough, you've heard a version of the escape approach by someone at some point. Well, then there's the tolerate approach. Those who tolerate suffering are also known as realists. They're the type of people who see the cup as being half empty and here's how the toler- those who tolerate suffering, here's how their thinking sounds. The fall of Adam and Eve brought brokenness in the world. So we now live in the fallout of that. Death, tragedy, disease, they're all natural consequences of rejecting God's will. So followers of Jesus, they'll eventually escape this broken world, either at the point of death or at Christ's return. Though nobody wants to suffer, It's just something that we're stuck with in our current state. 
That's what their thinking sounds like. Now, I've got to be honest. If I'm honest with myself, the tolerate approach is how I tend to look at suffering in my life. Such a view of life has more in common with fatalism than the way of true discipleship with Jesus. And so what this tells me, if tolerate isn't the answer to our suffering, there must be a better answer in the life of discipleship. And there is. It's in this third approach. This third approach to suffering is redemptive. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this, For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, if you want a snapshot of what redemptive suffering looks like, look at Jesus' death on the cross. As disciples of Jesus, we walk through suffering, catch this church, we walk through suffering with God. And as disciples, we are seeking the transformative purpose that suffering holds for our development as disciples of Jesus. Suffering is transformative in the life of a disciple. It's redemptive. It's trying to redeem something in us. So the Christian approach to suffering is to receive the pain Believing God will transform us through it. That is what redemptive suffering is. It's transformative. In James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, it says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance, catch this, finish its work. And here's the outcome so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. I hope you caught the assumption that James makes about suffering in this text. Trials work in us to make us mature and to make us complete disciples of Jesus. What is there about trials? What is there about trials that makes them worthy of a joyful response? Doesn't that sound odd? But here's, I think, where the key is. Trials break something in us that oftentimes needs to be broken. Trials break something in us that often needs to be broken in us. The pain we experience It gives the heart a voice. It gives the heart a voice that expresses our deepest fears, our deepest misbeliefs, our deepest passions, convictions, our deepest longings. Pain brings that to the surface. And it is often in suffering that we see with the greatest clarity what our heart is doing with God. The psalmist says in Psalm chapter 6, verses 6 to 7, I am worn out from groaning. All night, I, all night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all of my enemies. Did you notice how the psalmist doesn't hide his pain? He enters into it and he vocalizes it with passion, which we can struggle to do. 
You see, we have a lot in common with the crowds that surround Jesus in the gospel. They follow Jesus to feel good. They want life to go well for them. And that's why they're following this new rabbi named Jesus. Now think of it this way. For centuries, the Romans had their foot on the necks of the Jews in Israel. And the Jews wanted freedom. And if Jesus was the true Messiah, then that is what Jesus should wish for them also. Jesus should wish for them the good life. Jesus should hope that the Jews have the easy life. But what does Jesus tell his disciples? In John 16, Jesus says this, come, come, follow me. But then he gives them a warning. He says, be ready. If you choose to follow me, Jesus says, people will throw you out of the synagogue. People will try to kill you. If you follow me, you will be scattered as mobs chase you down. A life of following Jesus will get so bad that his disciples will actually end up abandoning Jesus. But then Jesus makes this promise. John 16, 33. He promises not the easy life, but here's what Jesus promises disciples. In this world, you will have trouble. That's the promise. You're going to have pain. You're going to struggle to follow Jesus in the trials of life. His disciples couldn't understand all this talk about trouble. The disciples were hoping Jesus would improve the quality of their lives where marriages would be pleasant without effort, where biopsies always come back negative, where every new ministry started ends with success, where believers always feel good. That's what the disciples had hoped for. But instead, Jesus promises you will have trouble. You will have struggles that break us of our false expectations of Jesus. You will have struggles that will break us of our false expectations of Jesus. Our brokenness shows us that something more critical, something more satisfying and more powerful than an easier, prosperous life is available to us. So what is it? What is it that God offers us in the midst of our suffering when it doesn't lead to the easy life? Here it is. It's what we've been studying in this whole series. Jesus is offering us a life in the presence of God. God breaks us to increase our desire for him. Listen to Jesus' greatest desire for his disciples in John chapter 17, verse 3. He says that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Isn't that better than the easy life? Isn't that better than the comfortable life? To know the living God and the Savior Jesus Christ, whom he sent. You see, the core of our faith is not merely forgiveness of sins and eternal rest, but it's the opportunity to enjoy God, to be more satisfied with with God than with anyone or anything else. In church history, there's a woman that few have heard of, but she lived a life of redemptive suffering. Uh, Her name is Julian of Norwich. Julian lived from about 1342 to about 1416. 
And we don't know a lot about her life, but we do know that when she was 30 years old, she became incredibly ill. In fact, near death, her family called the Catholic priest in to administer her the last rites. But instead of dying, Julian experienced a series of spiritual visions that filled her with a sense of God's love, God's mercy, and God's compassion. Now that's significant in the Middle Ages. Uh, to, To have a vision of God, to have a vision of God being loving and merciful and compassionate, That was unusual in the Middle Ages. You see, life in Europe during the late Middle Ages, it was a time marked by the outbreak of the bubonic plague. People were dying all over the place. Massive riots were occurring in the cities and continuous war was taking place between Europe and France. Death was all around them. And when you think of it, maybe her time was not all that different from our own. Now, not only that, but the popular image of God in the Middle Ages was that he was harsh, wrathful, and a punishing God. Now, for many people, God was little more than a heartless king who ruled with an iron fist. God was to be feared, not to be loved. That's what the majority of people believed. Now, after her near-death experience, Julian of Norwich recovered from her illness and eventually wrote a book. She wrote a book entitled Revelations of Divine Love. Now, the book title shocked the people of Europe because it was so opposite of what people thought about God. It also shocked people around Europe because it was the first book written in English by a female author. Revelations of Divine Love It tells the story of Julian's remarkable experience of God, filled with rich reflection and insight into what Julian came to know and believe about God. She discovered God to be all-loving, all-kind, full of mercy, full of compassion, especially in times of struggle and hurt. Her famous line in the book is this one, all shall, will, all shall be well, and all matter of things shall be well. This line is spoken by Christ himself in Julian's vision, reassuring her that even though such things as suffering and sin exist, she says, all shall be well. Jesus Christ will heal even the worst elements of life. I've got to admit, I've read her book, and it is a strange read. Uh, It's a spiritual biography, and her teaching is rich and deep. But here's the biggest lesson I learned from Julian of Norwich. Catch this. Resist the devil, and in times of struggle, draw close to God. Resist the devil, and in times of struggle, draw close to God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says we are to give thanks in all circumstances. The word that Paul uses for thanksgiving in this text is eucharisteo, which we, which we get the word eucharist from. It's a common term that's often used for the Lord's Supper or communion, and it means thanksgiving. About this thanksgiving, author Kenneth Boa gives this challenge. I love this challenge. Sometimes 
Eucharisteo, Thanksgiving, comes quickly. Like when we get a good news or something exciting happens to us. But there's also a hard Thanksgiving, which we do in circumstances that are difficult or less than desirable. Think about your life right now. Do you need to offer God a hard Thanksgiving for something in your life that's painful, that's a struggle? If so, do it now. Ask him to help you see your circumstances as a temporary part of living on this earth. Ask God to use this situation to help you lean on him more, to draw you closer to him. Allow him to use that situation to welcome you deeper into his presence in your life. I like that. Offer God a hard thanksgiving. Let me give you an example of how a hard thanksgiving sounds from a minister by the name of David Shepherd. David Shepherd wrote this letter while he was in incredible while he was in an incredible challenging season of ministry. And here's what he wrote. Faith, as I am growing to understand it more, is about looking beyond my circumstances to a person. To have faith in better circumstances, even in God creating better circumstances, that's not faith. I want to be the kind of person who can watch every dream go down in flames and still, still yearn to be intimately involved with my friend, Jesus, and always be willing to take another risk just because it delights Jesus for me to do so. And my flesh shivers to think about such a thing. What's the point of today's sermon? Here it is, Christians. Keep taking risks in trusting God in your pain. Keep taking risks in trusting God in your pain. Because that is how faith rejoices in suffering. God bless.